It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, August 28, 2020. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. 24 years after he faced trial for a murder he did not commit, Richard Bingham feels entitled to compensation. KCAW's Robert Woolsey recently spoke with a man who, although he was acquitted in the death of 17-year-old Jessica Bagan in 1996, was never fully exonerated until now. Richard Bingham is not the easiest person to reach. His life over the past two decades has been difficult, but he finally agreed to speak to me from his home in Washington State. Hello? Hi, Richard? Yes. Hi, it's Robert Woolsey at uh, Raven Radio in Sitka. How are you doing? Doing fine, I guess. I'm glad to hear from you. How are things going down there? Mm, Same as usual. The Alaska Bureau of Investigation in early August broke the case in the death of Jessica Bagan, a young Sitka woman who was killed in 1996 while walking home from her 17th birthday party. New DNA research led investigators to a 66-year-old former Sitka man, Steve Allen Branch, who had moved to Arkansas and who took his own life within a half hour after being interviewed by police. No one bothered to let Bingham know that the case had been solved. How did you find out that uh, they had finally found the, the guy who did it? Kind of through the grapevine. My dad called my brother and my brother called me. Yeah. And how did you feel when you heard that news? Uh, pissed off, relieved, whatever you want to call it. I told them that for 25 years, yet they sent private investigators and state troopers down here that harassed my friends, asking questions and things like that. Bingham is 59 years old now, retired and dealing with MS and other health problems. He's made his living working in temporary services. 24 years ago, he was employed at Sheldon Jackson College near the scene of Jessica's murder. He had been a student there, class of 81, but never advanced beyond his sophomore year. Bingham, for reasons that may never be fully understood, confessed to the crime. But it didn't take long at trial for his public defender to prove that the confession had been coerced and that no physical evidence whatsoever tied Bingham to the events of the evening. Still, he says a cloud of suspicion continued to follow him even after he moved out of town. Did you ever come back to Sitka after the trial? Nope. I figured there'd be people there ready to shoot me. Bingham says he's paid a steep price for his misadventure. Both he and his brother relocated after the trial. He also lost his home, among other things. I mean, it cost me my job. I had to have my boat. Even in what wasn't a very good boat, still it was towed to the dump. I lost everything I owned. It is those losses that Bingham now feels entitled to compensation for. He doesn't want to fight. He'd just like to be paid. Yeah, yeah, I'm done done talking. I'm pretty disgusted. I sure wish somebody would call me up and find a lawyer for me. Or they could settle out of court and I'd be happy. As we wrap up the call, Bingham hits this point again. He's not talking to the media in order to win an apology. Put that in there, too, that I'd settle out of court rather than have to sue him. Yeah, I'll mention that. Maybe I can get somebody to make me an offer. All right. Well, we'll we'll see what happens. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Richard. Talk nice to you later. Mm-hmm. You too. Bye. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Two years ago, the commercial catch of pink salmon in southeast Alaska hit its lowest level in more than four decades. This year's catch will be even lower. 
pinks are caught mostly by the Perth Seine fleet. Some Saners have finished for the summer, and others have headed to the Sitka area to chase hatchery chums. Andy Piston is the department's pink and chum salmon project leader for Southeast. He says the catch by late August has topped 6 million fish and is expected to finish around 7 million pinks by the end of the season. It looks like it's going to come in a little below the uh, 2018 parent year harvest, which was about 8.1 million. And, and that'll be, you know, it'll be one of the lowest harvests since the mid-1970s. So it, it's definitely a, a historic, very poor pink salmon harvest. At that level, this year's catch will be the lowest since 1976. Scientists had predicted a poor return with a point forecast of 12 million fish going into the season. Low numbers of returning pinks in the northern panhandle forced closed fishing areas again this summer to allow fish to return to spawning streams. In management terms, those fish making it back to the streams are called escapement. Piston says most of this year's catch came from the southern part of the region. And escapements in in the southern districts generally look pretty good. As you move north, though, uh, things are considerably weaker, especially once you get into northern inside waters, you know, north of Sumner Strait. And there, you know, we had very little fishing opportunity in northern inside waters. Um, There was almost no harvest up there. So we were trying to, you know, get fish towards escapement. And in some areas, it sounds like there was a little bit of improvement over the parent year, but... Um, the overall pink return up there was still very low, and, and it looks like escapements are still going to be below management targets um, for a lot of stock groups up in that area. Pink salmon return to spawn every two years. The parents of this year's fish returned in low numbers. Those fish also spawned during a long-term drought, which may have impacted the 2020 returns. Two years ago, a bumper crop of hatchery chum salmon made up for the poor pink numbers. That's not the case this year. 2020 may see one of the lowest chum salmon catches in decades. In fact, catches for all salmon species in southeast are lagging this year. Sockeye catches are 70% below last year's and among the lowest ever. Coho catches are almost 50% behind last year. Catches of king salmon are the closest, just 14% off the pace from 2019. The roadless rural debate for the Tongass National Forest has been going on since before social media websites even existed. But today, it's not uncommon to scroll past conversations about the sweeping policy changes on Facebook or Instagram. Young indigenous leaders in Alaska and elsewhere are making that content extremely shareable. It's a push to get the word out before the Trump administration makes a final decision. From Alaska's Energy Desk, Elizabeth Jenkins has the story. Even if you're not aware of the contentious, ongoing roadless rule debate, you've probably heard of Vogue, the high-end fashion magazine. Now, imagine combining the two, a Vogue cover with dense federal policy. Right across the top in capital letters, it says Vogue. And we have Vogue Tongass, and it's called the Land Back Issue. That's Marina Anderson, a tribal administrator at the organized village of Kassan. She's on that reimagined cover of Vogue which includes headlines about real ordeals tribal governments have faced. It's posted to her Instagram page. Anderson isn't the first person to use a mock-up of a Vogue cover to make a point. A black Oslo-based student started a Vogue challenge over the summer to promote more diversity on the magazine's covers, which have been photographed by mostly white males. Anderson says she's been meaning to write a thank you note for the inspiration. She thought this approach could also be applied to educate people about problems at home. So immediately it's able to draw somebody in because it's something that we're familiar with, which is Vogue. But depending on how closely you keep up with the news, you might not be aware of the major management changes underway in the Tongass National Forest. 
In 2018, the state of Alaska petitioned the United States Department of Agriculture for an exemption to the roadless rule. That would mean the rule that prohibits road building in parts of the national forest wouldn't apply to Alaska. Proponents say the exemption could open up access to logging in the Tongass, among other economic boosts. But lots of people from commercial fishermen to tribal governments have voiced strong opposition. There are concerns about what this can mean for deer and salmon habitat and climate change mitigation. Recently, nine tribal governments requested another federal process to establish a traditional homelands conservation rule. The idea is to protect important areas for Tlingit, Haida, and Simshian peoples. All of this is complicated, and that's where the Vogue cover fits in. I've been hearing that because it was catchy and easy to really follow along with the Vogue covers on social media. They were finally ready to to learn about it. Several indigenous leaders and social media influencers have joined the cause, sharing their own Vogue Tongas covers. The posts are linked to a website that helps people generate letters to their elected local officials and the secretary of the USDA. A priority of the campaign was to be able to reach young people to keep the momentum up. A lot of us have a big, large web, and we have the know-how to be able to click fast on these little phones and make things happen. Richard Peterson, the president of the Clinket and Haida Indian tribes of Alaska, has been following the proposed changes to the roadless rule closely for a long time. But he only recently learned about the Tongass edition of Vogue. I had many people reach out and say, hey, where's your Vogue cover? I was like, what? <laughs> Peterson now has his own Vogue Tongass cover, which he posted on Instagram. He says he was delighted to see this innovative way of getting the message across. I think a lot of people really don't understand what the tribe's concerns are right now. And I think that's what, how we can start the, the conversation and begin educating. Marina Anderson thinks that's a conversation young people should be prepared to have. The roadless rule is something that's been an ongoing topic in Alaska for decades. And it's a debate that doesn't seem to be going away. If we're going to have to fight this fight again in another 10 years, we're going to need these people ready. So far, she says 500 people have submitted letters supporting tribal governments. From Alaska's Energy Desk, I'm Elizabeth Jenkins in Juneau. Taking a look at the community calendar. Sitka Conservation Society, Sitka Tribe of Alaska, Youth Advocates and Kids Cupboard partnered to take free breakfasts and lunches to youth through the USDA Summer Food Service Program. Meals for the entire week can be picked up 8.30 a.m. to noon, Tuesdays and Fridays through today, August 28th, in the STA parking lot. The food is available to all youth up to age 18 with no registration necessary. Delivery is also available. For more information about pickup or to sign up for delivery, email carly at sitkawild.org or call 623-8309. Alzheimer's Resource of Alaska presents an online discussion about making the move to assisted living at 1 p.m. today. Timing, options in communities, and how to prepare are part of the talk. Visit alzalaska.org for more information on the session. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.